like to welcome you back to another edition of the Monroe's Ice Podcast. It's the end of the week. The Tigers are national champions, and we're sitting back, kicking back, and talking about sports. And my first question I want to start off with, as your host, Andrew Monroe, is does this national championship feel any different than the one that occurred two years ago? So I'm going to leave it over to my co-host, my dad, Mr. Kenton Monroe, to answer me this question to get us kicked off today. Uh, From a personal standpoint, I mean, it really doesn't feel that much different. I do believe that it was expected out of this team. Uh, Still go back to the fact that this defensive line chose to stick around one more year, and they came back for a reason, and it was to win a national championship. So I don't really feel any different. So to me, it's just kind of act like you've been there before. I agree. I know as a fan, the first time we won the national championship, I just kind of was in awe of the fact that I finally got to witness it. Um, And this time it's still really cool. And I don't want to take that away at all because I hope I never get used to the winning as a Clemson fan, whether it's just winning 10 games in a bowl game or winning a national championship. I never want to get used to it. But I will say compared to the first one, this does feel more expected or at least more like we've been there before. But I wanted to start off with that question before we dove into anything else because we have to brag a little bit about our team because the Clemson Tigers are both something we both care about a lot and, um, I'm glad they could finally pull it off against Alabama, which we will talk about a little bit later. But before we get into that, I want to start with our sports shout-out segment. And I'm going to start it off with my first shout-out of the week, which is going to be Alabama defensive tackle Quentin Williams. Quentin Williams, excuse me. He's an absolute monster on the defensive line, but if we're being honest, kind of got manhandled for the most part against Clemson. He didn't have a sack because nobody had a sack uh, all night against Clemson. Trevor Lawrence wasn't hit. But he had this quote at the end of the game, and I'm just going to read it out loud, and then we can go ahead and discuss it for just a bit. When asked about the Clemson offense and what they did throughout the game, this was his response. They weren't hard at all. They were very easy. They capitalized on a lot of mental errors. We made a lot of mental errors. They didn't come and do nothing special. We played greater offense than that, Oklahoma offense or Georgia offense. We just made a lot of mental errors, and they capitalized. That's what good teams do. They capitalize on mental errors. And then a little bit further, he went on to say, No, they really didn't do anything that caught us off guard. We knew everything was coming. We ran a zone, and they ran go routes. 50-50 balls. Trevor Lawrence threw the ball up. It ain't like he just put it on the money, dropped dimes, none of that. He just threw them up, and receivers made plays. You've got to give the respect to the receivers. So I wanted to give him a big shout-out for that, because for the most part, at least the Alabama players, and there were others as well, such as Xavier McKinney, who had comments, but... They really didn't want to give Clemson any credit for that beatdown. And a lot of people want to say that it was outplaying and outscheming and stuff like that, but it really was more than just mental errors on Alabama. I don't think you get beat by 28 points just because you had a few mental errors. Right. And my first shout-out, it would, well, just the same as far as Clemson football, uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to what is now arguably the greatest college football team in the history of football. Now, it's arguable. I know everybody wants to go back and bring up past teams uh, a lot of years back. But this was supposed to be one of the greatest teams of all time in Alabama. And we did not beat them, but we beat them bad. And the fact that it, it just it was very impressive to do that. And I just believe that it was a very nonchalant effort to win easy during the regular season. And once we hit the playoffs... When you win 30-3 to against an undefeated Notre Dame team, 
and then win by 28 points against an Alabama team that was supposed to be one of the greatest of all times, well, it just speaks for itself. And the crazy thing about this Clemson team is we sort of take a look back at what they've done and say they played in the ACC, so there is a downward schedule there. And we can both admit that the SEC would have been better than the ACC as far as that goes because the ACC this year was really nothing at all. But in all of the games Clemson played, we only didn't win by 20 twice. It was the Texas A&M game, which was the first game of the year. We won by two points, which we had Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. And I'll be the first to admit Kelly Bryant won us that football game because we played Lawrence a lot in the second half. We didn't move the ball well. It was Lawrence's first ever experience on a big stage on the road. Kelly Bryant won us that game. But the only other game the entire season we didn't win by 20 points or more was Syracuse, the game in which Trevor Lawrence was knocked out fairly early, and we had to rely on Chase Bryce, who got the job done, but isn't nearly as dynamic as Trevor Lawrence, we all would admit. So other than that, Clemson won every single game by 20 points this year, including beating Pittsburgh in the ACC Championship, beating Notre Dame in the semifinal, and Alabama. All of those they also won by 20 points or more. So that's very impressive. My last shout-out of the day, we're only going to do two each, is going to be the Bears kicker, Cody Parkey. You've got to feel bad for the guy because he missed the most important kick of the season. People have varying opinions as far as kickers should make the kick, period, and they should feel responsible for the game. Other people say it's not as easy as it looks, and plus, if the team performed better, they wouldn't be put in that situation. But I know it's tough on a guy and on a team. If you make your first field goal, and then the coach on the other team had called a timeout, and then you go back to kick it again, and it bounces off the upright, off the crossbar, and goes out of play. So I want to give a shout-out to you, man. Stay strong, keep your head up, and I hope none of these threats that people keep sending out make it too far, because people go crazy for no reason. It's just a game. And my second shout-out is actually going to go to the lowly ACC that Andrew just spoke about. We can all acknowledge around here as Clemson fans that the ACC is not a very good conference. There's a lot of teams that are really not that good. However, I think it has now been proven that other conferences aren't as good as they think they are. And that's the problem is admitting that. So my shout out is to the ACC who finished with a winning record in the bowl season, including a national championship in dominating fashion. And we dominated Alabama and Notre Dame just like we did other ACC teams. So I don't care which conference we're in, we're conference champions, we're national champions. Go ACC. Amen. And since we're talking about the national championship a little bit, you guys knew we would be talking about it. We knew we would be talking about it. But we want to go ahead and jump right in. Clemson versus Alabama. Let's talk about it. I'm going to let you start off because I know you have a few strong opinions about the game. Well, the the game itself, uh, it was just Clemson came out and played a really good game. And... Before I get too big into one of my rants, uh, I may hold off right now and I may get into it. We'll just see how it goes. Players win championships. When you have the talent that we have, when you have the talent that Alabama has, and let's go with Oklahoma, let's go with Notre Dame, and of course let's go with Georgia, Ohio State, there's a reason why teams win and the same teams return. And it has basically, I did not say all, but it has basically nothing to do with actual coaching. It's recruiting is where it starts getting the players in. And, of course, part of my rant is to all these people who keep making idiotic comments about Alabama and it finally called up to them getting constantly losing offensive and defensive coordinators after one season because Alabama continues to win 
with first-year offensive coordinators, first-year defensive coordinators. The players is who wins it. It did not catch up to Alabama. This was a Clemson team that was loaded, and Alabama was not going to beat us, period. So, anyway, that that's just a little bit off the subject. As far as the game itself, I thought that, you know, I would agree with one little thing that uh, the Alabama defensive lineman said. Our receivers, too, should get a lot of credit. Some of the catches that they have made when it's been crunch time it has been phenomenal. But Trevor has definitely made the passes. He's put the ball where it needs to be for the most part. Uh, I thought that our offensive line stepped up. That was probably my biggest concern is how our offensive line could handle Alabama's defensive line. And I was very impressed. That That is a... That's a crew that needs to walk off the field with their heads held high because they made a huge difference, giving Trevor more time to throw the ball. And the other one was the secondary, which turned everything around against Notre Dame, looked very good, and other than one you know, really nice move by Alabama receiver, that the touchdown that tied the game up 7-7, I thought that the secondary looked extremely good, obviously included a pick six, but they really it was it was good coverage. So just overall it was it was a real nice performance by obviously a very talented team. We really did dominate that game. And I think the best way I can describe how dominant we were is that eventually we did something that teams can never do against Alabama. And we broke Alabama. We broke their will. And we saw that in the last drive of the game where it was pretty much wrapped up at that point the score was 44 to 16, but we got the ball with just over 10 minutes left and drove from, I believe, the four yard line. It was inside the 10, all the way to the other side of the field. We didn't end up scoring, but we ran out 10 minutes of game clock and ended up icing that game to the point where they didn't even have a shot to get the ball back to put in a garbage time score. We thoroughly dominated that game. From the offensive perspective, it's funny hearing what you said and the notes I wrote down. We didn't share these. My notes on the offense were. Offensive line dominance, the fact that we didn't give up a sack, the fact that there were at times chances to run. You know, we had that one rushing touchdown by ETN, which was around 15 yards or so. It was the first time we scored on offense, the second time in the game. But he ran for, what was it, 84 yards on his own? That total, we had 135 rushing yards. He ran for 86. I'm looking at the stats now. The other thing I wanted to mention was wide receiver play, was something you brought up as well. Our wide receivers made unbelievable catches. Trevor Lawrence had a few throws that were a bit off, but he threw that one to Justin Ross that everyone knows about, the one-handed grab where he was running away and pulled back and got it. You had the other catch that was made by T. Higgins in the end zone that some would argue was a little bit high that T. went up and made a great play. I would argue that he put it pretty much perfect. It could have been a little better, but T. Higgins is tall, and Trevor Lawrence knows that, and you, you throw away from your defender. But I also want to give a shout out to Lawrence for staying poised, for being mobile in the pocket, and for making some unbelievable throws. Two throws that come to mind was the first one to Justin Ross that he threw down the sidelines, and Ross bobbled a little bit with one hand because he was kind of being held by the Alabama receiver. I don't think it was pass interference, but they were hand fighting and he couldn't get his hand up. But he bobbled it and brought it in. That was a brilliant throw. Trevor Lawrence had another one early on in the game to T. Higgins that Higgins... Bless him if he was a little bit faster, might have scored on, but it was a perfect strike to him. Lawrence made some good throws, and the thing that frustrated me about Quinn and Williams' comment is he refused to acknowledge what Lawrence did well. He only dogged him for not being able to make a few throws. 
but the fact that Trevor Lawrence finished with 20 completions, all 20 of those were not bad throws. Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback, a freshman quarterback, but when you throw for 347, three touchdowns and no picks, you're doing something right. On the other side of the ball, the other two things I wrote, secondary stepping up. agree with you completely. The secondary looked great. I've loved our corner play all season from Trayvon Mullen and from A.J. Terrell. Both of them got a pick in this game. I've loved everything they've done all season. The secondary with Tanner Muse, for the most part, looked good. He had a great hit on Tua to stop him on that fourth down early on in the second quarter, I think. Kayvon Wallace had a really solid game. Isaiah Simmons, I know he's kind of a linebacker hybrid. He had a great game. He led the team in tackles. So overall, the defense played so solid, and the defensive line looked really good. I said last week on the show that I thought we would miss Dexter Lawrence a little bit more in this game, but as a whole, Alabama wasn't able to run on us as much as I thought they would. I figured they would put up around 200-something rushing yards. Looking at the stats as a team, they put up 148, and no running back had more than 60 yards. So overall, I thought it was utter dominance by Clemson. Early on, it looked like it was going to be a shootout. It was 14-14 very early. Alabama took the lead 16-14. And we went on a 30 to nothing run to end out the game. So that was absolutely huge to me. And the last point I said, so I'll finally shut up for you guys, was keeping the foot on the gas. That's something we did and we need to do more often as a team. And I'm glad that Dabo did not let up the entire game. Wish he would have punched in that last touchdown to make it 50, but I'm not going to nitpick with a 28-point win over Alabama at all. True. So now moving on to the next segment, we want to talk about We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We still want to enjoy the national championship and what Clemson was able to do this year. But what I want to do is at least take a look at what we will be losing. So what I'm going to do is read off a list of names of Clemson players who we are going to be losing this season. And what I'm going to ask of you is to give me a rating of 1 to 10 for each player, how important losing them is going to be to the future of the team. And then after that, we'll talk about a few key players that you might want to bring up and discuss a little bit further. But we're going to hop right into it. And I'll mention the ones who declared for the draft and which ones haven't. But starting off, we have number one, Trayvon Mullen. He has declared for the NFL draft as a junior, 1-10. to 10. I think that has the potential to be a 10. Uh, that is a huge loss. This is a very talented cornerback at a position that we needed. This is, well, one area I'm probably going to struggle at as far as responding is I do not know our depth chart, so I don't really know what's behind a lot of these guys. Unfortunately, this is something I enjoy doing, but this is also not my full-time job. So I don't study the depth chart other than, so I know losing him is huge. Number two, Travion Thompson. He's a senior. He's been a, a good receiver for us throughout most of his career, um, but with the talent we've got, I mean, it, we're not really going to miss him. So, I mean, I would probably give it a two. Not that he's a two, it's just we're not going to miss him. Agreed. Next, we have Mark Fields. Mark Fields is, is kind of underachieved. A good backup that was needed this year, but, I mean, maybe a three or four because it's more of a position of need. I've got to give Mark Fields a shout-out, though. During the game, I was ragging him a little bit because I've kind of ragged Mark Fields most of the season, kind of behind closed doors. But when I was talking about the fact that he has underachieved and hasn't performed as well throughout his career as most people thought, he ended up making two very nice plays in that Clemson game to help us out on defense, especially the first time he came in when Mullen got hurt. I immediately said something about Fields, and he immediately made a great play. So big shout-out to you, man. I'm glad you had a great last game. Next up, Austin Bryant, defensive end. Austin Bryant will definitely be missed. Uh, the lesser of the four 
defensive lineman that we have, but he will be missed. But I think it's a position that we're pretty well off at right now. So we'll, we'll give him a, a six. Hunter Renfro, wide receiver. <laughs> we're going to miss him as far, as far as what he's done. But there again, we have so many talented wide receivers, including slot receivers that can take his position. So we'll, we'll call it a five or a six. But, you know, like I said, he will be very missed. If you look at the Alabama game, he really didn't have that great of an impact on it. I'm trying to find. He had two receptions for 10 yards. You know, we have such a talented receiver core that Hunter Renfro is a great third down receiver, position receiver, all of that. And what he's done for Clemson cannot be matched. He's going to go down as a Clemson legend, as he should. But I do agree that Renfro on the field won't be as missed as he will be as a legend of Clemson, if that makes any sense. Yes. Next player we have is Adam Choice, running back. Similar to a Renfro, but probably a little bit less. I would say about a four. We're Here again, we're very talented at running back. A lot of depth, and but he has been a definite, strong go-to guy in a backup role. Agreed. People remember the first year Wayne Gallman took over as a starter. That only happened because Adam Choice received the job after a few weeks, was performing really well, but then had a really bad injury. Other than that, Adam Choice would have been our starting running back instead of Wayne Gallman. That's how Gallman got the spot. So I hate how Choice's career has gone because it looks so promising early to where he could be a stud running back. And then at the end of his career, he just turned into a very good player, but not the stud we thought but I'm glad that he could go out on top because I have nothing but respect for Adam Choice. The next player we have is Jalen Williams, a linebacker, who's, who plays a good amount, but he's more of a backup role. He'll be missed probably about a five, but because that has the potential to be a position of need going into the next season, losing as many as we are. And moving right on into that, we have the next linebacker who plays a little bit more than Williams, but not a starting role, would be J.D. Davis. Same thing. I would probably give it about a a six. Uh, Definitely going to miss him because of a position of need, because he was definitely a really strong uh, backup. I mean, because like I said, a lot of these players on this team are not really backups. They just didn't get the starting position. So about a six. That's the crazy thing about Clemson as a team. We rotate and play so many people. You'll see our entire starting defense off the field for the most part in the second quarter. I remember in the Bama game counting that at one point in the second quarter, we had three starters in and eight backups. And I put air quotes around backups just because they play as much as a starter would for the most part. We miss these backups a little bit more than other teams would miss a backup because we play so many people, which is why we're able to go toe-to-toe with an Alabama late in the season. The next player we want to give a shout-out to is Kendall Joseph. That's funny you let in that way because I was actually waiting on that one in particular. Uh, I'm going to put him up there at about an eight. Kendall Joseph, uh, well, one thing is, as far as shout-outs, i uh, give a shout-out to someone who went to the high school that I went to, a former BHP Bear myself. Anyway, we'll definitely miss Kendall Joseph. He has done a lot for Clemson, and we'll give it about a seven. The next player on the list is Judah Davis. He played a little bit less than J.D. did. He was a special teams guy and occasionally got in on defense, but didn't quite break in as much as his twin brother did. Probably about a three. Uh, just here again, a lot of talent on the way, and but position-wise, uh, definitely could use him. If you're counting at home, folks, we've already discussed one, two, three, 
four linebackers. And spoiler alert, we're not done talking about linebackers. But before that, we have our backup place kicker who had to come in last year, Mr. Alex Spence. Uh, with what we've got coming in at kicker, no disrespect, but I really don't think we're going to miss him. So probably about a one. I agree. He did good things for us, but it's not to offend anyone. But in two years, we might not remember his name. We appreciate what you did. There's no disrespect at all. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. Now, this next guy is not as forgettable. We have Christian Wilkins. That's that's a 10. Uh, this guy come in as a freshman with all the hype. Uh, his attitude has been supreme. Uh, he is a team leader. He will be missed not only as a player, but even as a coach and as far as a celebrator because he was there with the offense, the defense, the special teams. Uh, Christian Wilkins is... Mr. Clemson, as far as I'm concerned. He's the glue that kept the team together all since he's been there, especially when he was given that leadership role. He is a -a one-of-a-kind player, and I know as a fan, I'm really going to miss him. I remember his freshman season, I ran onto the field and got a picture with him. And looking back, I didn't realize who he would turn into, but I always thought that was kind of cool that this dude, like you said, is Mr. Clemson. He's everything Clemson football needs to be, and he's going to be missed on the field just as much as off the field, because he is an absolute Clemson legend. Wet willies and all. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Next up, we have Chad Smith, backup linebacker, who plays a good amount. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put him about a, a five, just because of the position, because it is a position of need. Next up, we're moving into an offensive lineman, Justin Falsinelli. The offensive line, I think, is definitely going to be missed. And the way they continue to improve has been... Some of the best offensive line play we've seen at Clemson in a long time. So I'm going to have to put him probably at about a seven. The next player we have is another guy going out to the draft early in linebacker Trey Lamar. Uh, I'm going to rank this one a little bit higher because I think he has the potential. The fact that he could return could have returned next season. I'm going to put him about a nine because I think he was a complete and total beast in the making. Next up, we have Albert Huggins, defensive tackle, the man who filled in for Dexter Lawrence very admirably. Huggins would have started for most teams, and like you said, he stepped in, and honestly, in two playoff games, the fact that we did what we did without Lawrence is amazing. So, I mean, I'm going to have to put Huggins up there probably at about a seven. After Huggins, we have Mitch Hyatt. I'm probably going to put Hyatt... We'll give him a nine. He, he could be considered our best offensive lineman uh, and definitely come in as a star, and he's definitely left as a star. Agreed. Moving on, we have two tight ends, starting off with Mylon Richard. Same concept kind of as linebacker, a little bit of a position of need, but I don't know that our tight end play ever filled in and lived up to what we had when we had Jordan Leggett. So I'm going to have to just probably give him about a six. That's fair. And then after him, we have another one in Cannon Smith. Probably had to give a little bit less. Don't have stats in front of me, but probably didn't produce near as much, didn't play as much. So, I mean, I would give Cannon Smith, because of the position of need, about a five. Yeah, this year as a whole, our tight ends were more of just blockers and extra offensive linemen than they really were pass catchers. But I am excited for Braden Galloway, the freshman who was actually suspended along with Dexter Lawrence this year who I believe could, in a few years, turn into the next Jordan Leggett. I'm excited about what he's going to be. But moving on to the next player, speaking of suspension and speaking of him, is Dexter Lawrence, who is going pro 
after his junior season. Would like to give him a 10, seeing what we did in championship game. I wonder if our last two games, if I should drop him to a 9. But let's be honest, he's still a mega star, so I'm definitely going to say a 10. Next up, we have Greg Hugel, our starting kicker for it seems like forever now. Greg the leg. Um, I'm going to give Hugel probably an... I'm going to give him a 7 just because what we have at kicker behind him. So he's definitely done a lot, but I'm going to give him a 7. And then lastly, who also declared for the draft the latest out of all of these players. There could be some more declaring, we're not sure, but we have Cleland Farrell. Cleland Farrell will probably be, I would say, we'll just meet in the middle with a 9.5. Don't quite put him up there with Wilkins and Lawrence, but he's definitely been a superstar and will definitely be missed. And lastly, I want to mention a player who isn't declaring for the draft, but I have a feeling might transfer out of Clemson, and he may not, but there's been little hints that he might be gone next year, and that's Tavian Feaster, who came into the Clemson program as the next C.J. Spiller. He wore number 28. It came out of retirement because C.J. Spiller allowed him to wear it, and he really just hasn't quite gotten it as a Clemson player. He's been really productive, but... What do you think Tavian Feaster would be if he ended up transferring or something like that and wasn't with the program next year? Well, this is going with an assumption, but assuming that that Lynn J. Dixon continues to progress, I'd probably put Feaster about a six because he is extremely talented. Love having him as a backup. Obviously, injuries could happen to anybody. So, I mean, he will be missed and could be missed more depending on injuries, but there, there's a lot of talent at that running back position. And real quickly, I'm just looking up and down the Clemson death chart. As of earlier this morning, I haven't heard if anyone else is declaring or not declaring. I know Kayvon Wallace said that he's coming back for his senior season. But just looking up and down the list, we have names like Tanner Muse and Denzel Johnson, who I don't think are going anywhere. I'm going to scroll down and see other players who might potentially... As juniors leave, we've got names like John Simpson and Sean Pollard and Tremaine Ankrum on the offensive line, who I really don't see going anywhere. And other than that, those are really the only players who have the potential to still declare. But overall, we're looking at losing 13 players on defense, two defensive backs, five defensive linemen, including four starters, and six linebackers, including two of our starting three, because Isaiah Simmons counts as a linebacker here and then four backups who got in a lot. And then on the offensive side, we're losing two wide receivers in Thompson and Renfro, one running back in Adam Choice, a possible second one in Feaster, two offensive linemen, and two tight ends. And then two place kickers. So where do you see next season the greatest few needs, and what do you think will be easily replaceable and more difficult just in about a one-minute summary? The needs... Definitely in the secondary. Would be real interested to see what we have on the depth chart as far as linebackers uh, because that's going to be very important. And, of course, defensive line. Uh, Not as worried about defensive ends, but defensive tackles. I know Pinckney's coming back or he'll be in. But other than that, like I said, I'm not – I know names might be leaving me, but that's probably my biggest concern as far as offense – Maybe a couple of linemen. We'll see what Jackson Carmen can do. A couple of the, you know, we've got some other talented young guys, so I think that we, we could be fine, and the offense could easily go into next year. 
with the schedule that we'll be playing and be the number one offense in the country again. I would definitely agree. And then looking at the kickers, we're going to miss what Hugel and Spence have done for us in the past, but I do think that B.T. Potter is ready to step up as the former number one kicker in the nation. We see what he does on kickoffs, just booming him out of the end zone. So I think we'll be fine at the kicker spot as long as he can be confident in what he does. What I want to do now before we wrap up the show is move on into the NFL playoff discussion. We're going to make a little bit of picks and predictions about what could happen in these upcoming games. And I want to recap really quickly. Both of us last week went 2-2 two and two in the games. Both of us picked the Colts, I believe. Both of us picked... Did you not pick the Colts? I didn't think I picked the Colts. I don't know. Don't hold me to it. All right. Well, we'll pretend <laughs> that you picked the Colts to give you credit, but we might check the tape later and see that you didn't. I believe, though, we both picked the Seahawks over the Cowboys, correct? Yes. Did pick the Seahawks, I believe. And then... I picked the Eagles, which I got correct, where you picked the Bears. That is correct. And then I went against my better judgment and picked the Ravens, and you picked the Chargers, which you got correct and I got wrong. That is correct. So assuming you picked the Colts, we both went 2-2 two and two this week. If not, you may have dropped to a 1-3 and three if you picked the Texans. 2-2 two and two sounds better. That's right. So what we're going to do now is discuss a little bit about these upcoming games. I'm going to just start in the order in which they're going to occur, which is going to be my Indianapolis Colts playing the Chiefs. And looking at this matchup, there are a few things that stand out to me. One, of course, from the Colts' perspective is the fact that they are still the hottest team in football, arguably. I'm sure there can be a few other names in there. But I'm going to say they're the hottest team in football with one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I definitely think he's a top-five quarterback. An offensive line that's much improved. A running game that is very underrated. Receiver play that's underrated. And on the defense, I thought they'd be a year away, but that defense absolutely flies around the field and makes plays. And on the other side of the ball... You have the probable NFL MVP in Patrick Mahomes, an average offensive line, a running game that's really struggled since the loss of Kareem Hunt with that whole scandal, a great receiving core, but on the defensive side of the ball, they have a lot of names, but they have not been able to put it together at all. I think they have the worst run defense in the NFL and about a middle-of-the-pack pass defense. So with all that being said, the Chiefs at home, which if you look at the Chiefs over the past what, 50 years? I don't think they've won a home playoff game. Maybe I'm hearing that wrong, but I know it's been a while. I know it's been at least 20-something years, but after all of that said, I might be going against my better judgment here, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. I think the Chiefs could easily beat the Colts, and if they do, I will not be surprised at all, but with that being said, I think Andrew Luck, just like he did a few years ago, is going to march into Arrowhead and come out with a victory. I'm going to make mine a lot shorter. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go with the Chiefs. I think that they're just a little bit better team. And look, I would agree Colts are the hottest team right now. But I'll go with the Chiefs at home. That's fair. And like I said, if the Colts lose, I'm not going to be shocked. Because if I'm being honest here, the AFC side of the bracket, I could see all four of those teams making it to the Super Bowl. Now on the NFC side, I don't think it's as wide open, at least in my perspective. And we're going to get into the first game of that, which is the Cowboys versus the Rams. Last week I said that I didn't trust Dak Prescott, and he proved me wrong. He had a great game. With that being said, I think the Rams at home are going to be a tough out. I don't think the Rams are going to make the Super Bowl, so that's a bit of a spoiler alert for who I think will be in it. But 
I think the Rams will beat the Cowboys this week. They've got a really good offense, a healthy Todd Gurley, and I think their goal is just to bottle up Ezekiel Elliott on defense and then make Dak Prescott beat him again. So I'm going to go with the Rams in this game, who are, I believe a seven-point favorite. Definitely going with the Rams. Uh, Talent-wise, I believe the Rams are might be the most talented team in football. So Rams at home. The third game we have, this will be taking place on Sunday. The previous two will be on Saturday is the Chargers at the Patriots. And I'm going to make this one pretty short. I think San Diego's got a shot. I think I'm going to go out on a limb and pick San Diego because New England this season has been a little down. They've been unreal at home. They're undefeated at home this season. But I think a hot Chargers team with a great offense and a very, very athletic defense can beat a New England team who's been struggling a bit on offense and defense to where they're average at about both. I think New England is the smartest team in the league. But I think Phillip Rivers and his offense is going to get it done this week. And I'm going to pick the Chargers. But again, if the Patriots win, I wouldn't be surprised a bit. I don't have any good reason to pick on this game, except the fact that I really don't like the Patriots. So I'm just going to go with the Chargers. But there's no sensible reason why you would ever try to pick against Tom Brady. Because just when you think he's down and out, he wins. The last game we have, honestly... It's the Philadelphia Eagles, the reigning champs, versus the Saints in New Orleans. And I'm going to make this one a lot quicker, I promise. I've said that about the last three, but I'm going to pick the Saints. I think the Nick Foles magic is up because New Orleans is a tough place to play. And I think Drew Brees is on a mission. I think that offense is dynamic, and I think that defense is very underrated. I think the Eagles will get stomped out by the Saints. And I'm also going with the Saints at home. I think that they're possibly the second-best team in the NFL behind the Rams. So um, I'm going to go with the Saints at home. So now we'll make predictions as they go along, but sitting here right now, if you were just asked the question, this is going to be our question of the week, because if I'm being honest, no one submitted us any fan questions, which if you're listening right now, you totally should do through the Anchor app or leave us a comment on any of my Facebook posts or TigerNet posts or anything. Who do you think is going to be in the Super Bowl if you're looking at these last eight teams here? Well, without seeing the uh, the actual seating, as far as the NFC, if it is the Saints and Rams, where would that game be played at? That would be played in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Uh, if it's in New Orleans, even though I think the Rams are just a little bit better, I'm going to have to take the Saints just being at home. And then so, on the other side. On the AFC, uh, assuming my two predictions come true, if it is the Chargers or the Patriots, I think as long as the Chiefs do win, which I think that their hardest matchup is actually against the Colts. So I like the winner of the Chiefs-Colts game to make it to the Super Bowl, but I do believe it will be the Chiefs. So we're going to go with the Chiefs versus Saints. Because a few weeks ago, I'm glad you're sticking with your Chiefs pick because you did say they would dethrone Tom Brady, and I'm holding you to that. You have to stay with the Chiefs. You can switch on the Rams or the Saints next week if you want but I'm holding you to the Chiefs. Meanwhile, I think it'll also be the Saints on on that other side. I just don't know who's going to beat them in New Orleans, but I can't get over the AFC and how wide open I think it is. My heart tells me to go with the Colts. It could change week to week. I've told other people that I could see them in the Super Bowl, but I think all four of these teams are potential Super Bowl teams, so I'm really struggling to come up with a pick. So what I'm going to do is because I believe that all four of these have just as good a shot as the rest, I'm going to say the Colts because it's my favorite team. But I think if I had to rank them in likelihood of reaching the Super Bowl, 
the Patriots would be the last on my list, as crazy as that sounds. I think I would put the Chargers in third, the Colts in second, and the Chiefs in first. But with that being said, I think the Colts will beat the Chiefs and then play the Chargers, and hopefully the Colts will win. So I think the Chiefs have the best shot to make it, but I'm going to go with the Colts in this pick, as crazy as all of that explanation comes off as. But that is going to wrap up our podcast today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to get a question in, we would really love for you guys to leave us questions and comments about what you think our takes were, good and bad, or if you have a question about anything sports-related, check us out on the Anchor app. You can listen to our podcast on there. You can favorite us, and you'll get a notification whenever we post a new episode. If you don't want to do that, listen to us on Spotify. That's a great way to hear us out. We're still not on Apple Music yet. We're trying to get that worked out. Other than that, guys, we thank you so much for listening, and I hope you all have a fantastic Orange Week this next week. Go Tigers!